You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. We are going to uh, continue on with our series called Unfathomable. And unfathomable um, is just how I would describe the Lord. (laughs) So someone would ask you in all of his fullness, and all of his greatness, and all of his grace, and all of his mercy, like we cannot with our, our little brains, not, not trying to put anybody down, but we cannot with our, our limited amount of um, wisdom be able to even gauge who he is. I mean, he's just unfathomable. Yet at the same time, as we've been talking for believers, those of us who um, are God's uh, sons and daughters, uh, the chosen ones to be with him forever, he, through the power of his Holy Spirit, he illuminates him and his character and his names and his heart to us. Like we get in on something that the rest of the world doesn't, and that is a greater wisdom and understanding and relationship with the God of heaven. Amen? That phrase should be one of the biggest blessings in your life. The fact that the God of heaven says, if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. That is a big, big deal. Because I guarantee you in the place of everything you're dealing with these days or not dealing with these days, avoiding um, what you need is a greater revelation of who God is and who you're not, who what he does and what you don't and cannot and we're not called to do. And there's great peace in that. And there's great power in that. Amen? So when we get a deeper revelation of him, as we look at him and study, um, we get free. We get clear, we get joy, we get identity. And so that's why we've been walking through the attributes and names of God. And so we talked, an attribute is just something that God has revealed about himself. We've talked about he's everlasting, uh, he's unchanging, he is good always. And last week, the ever so heavy yet, I just think life-changing, he is sovereign, right? He's like sovereign over everything. And if you missed any of those, you can go back and look at those. This week, we come across, we're going to go to a name, a powerful name of God. And as we look into the attributes and the names of God, we can't cover them all. We're not going to do, El Shaddai is like one of my favorite words. Like I scream that in joy, even though it doesn't necessarily fit the circumstance. Like touchdown, El Shaddai, right? I mean, it's just fun to say, right? And there's just multiple, I just, the names of God are fun. Uh, But (laughs) there's so many of them in there. The point of the series was not to cover all of them. But if you, you will find out and you have known that we're going to cover tough topics in the days coming, and those tough topics are kind of mute unless people understand the who is asking them to do A, B, C, or D, lay down this to die, to, to follow him, to drop um, some of their, their, their worldly mindsets. And so we'll see some of them. And so we'll just talk about a couple of them really quickly before we get to ours today. There's Jehovah or Yahweh. And so that is the great I am who I am, right? That's like Popeye. What did Popeye used to say? I am what I am. Kip, thank you. For, how many of you ever watched an actual Popeye episodes when you were a kid? Great, half the room. How many of you have no idea what that is? That's that chicken place, right? The place is awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, isn't it funny how when you get old enough, all the songs and stuff that you listen to when you're a kid, that your kids know, and stuff like that, anything about your culture only comes through like commercials and cartoons? Oh, Dad, that was a song that was on Flush. No, that's not true. Um, 
That was the Romantics, 1986. Whatever. Anyway, moving on. So one of the, the core, one of the core names is Jehovah, Yahweh. Uh, this name speaks of the self-existence and the self-sufficiency of God. All others are dependent on him for life and breath and existence, and he is dependent upon no one. And this is that conversation where Moses is having with the Lord, and he asks him, who shall I say sent me? We see in Exodus 3.15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all the nations. It's just this great I am. It's who he is. We look at Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Elohim means sovereign ruler, creator God. Elohim is the infinite, all-powerful God who shows by his works that he is creator, sustainer, and supreme judge of the world. This is the verbiage that is used in Genesis 1.1 in the beginning. God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He is over the sovereign ruler. He is, shows his power through his creation, Elohim, and we see it all over the place throughout the Old Testament. Now, today, our word is uh, Adonai. Everybody say Adonai. And there's a reason why I picked um, Adonai besides just feeling that that was something that we needed to desperately cover. And as we see Adonai used amongst those other names of God, and we see it like if you could turn to Psalms 136, it will also be up there. Um, but Psalms 136 says, <laughs> verse 1, Give thanks to thee. Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2 says, Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast loves, love endures forever. Verse 3, Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, looking at that, and in English, it's been highly difficult to translate from the Hebrew and from Koine and from the Latin, all of those things over the Greek, over to our words. And so when we just see that, we just say, God, 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 or Lord, Lord, Lord. And so when we look at this, the problem that is, and, and what do you notice about the way the letters are in the first one? Huh? Yeah, they're all in small caps. And so when you see big L, capital O-R-D, smaller caps, that is significant because that is how we've chosen to relay what word? Yahweh. Yahweh. So every time you look uh, in the scriptures and you see capitalized Lord, and I didn't even ever really realize back in the day that they were just smaller. I just thought my eyes were bad. But those are called small caps. So when they say, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And in verse 2, we say, give thanks to the God of gods. When you see God of gods in the Old Testament primarily, that is the word, and that is our English for Elohim. So when you see that, you say, give thanks to Elohim for his steadfast love endures forever. Moving on. Now you're probably, I've already probably given this one away. When you see lowercase, uh, uppercase L, lowercase, the rest of it, that is the word that represents, it's the English word that represents the word Adonai. And so when you read this, there's way more to the text and way more to the scriptures than we can see. We're talking about the I am, for he is good. We're talking about uh, the God of creation, his power of creation, and we're talking about Adonai. The word Adonai simply means this. Say it with me, master or Lord. You need to get glasses. You are squinting heavily at that screen. Oh yeah, you, need, you just need to wear your glasses. I just saw this. 
No. <laughs> sorry. Uh, not, not, sorry. I was talking to everybody. That's true. Uh, but here's the term, the term Adonai. And how many have heard the word Adonai before? So Adonai is like one of my favorite, um, it's one of my favorite names um, of the Lord. And I just, it's another one of those ones that I like saying it. It comes from the word Adon, which just means Lord. I don't do a lot of Hebrew and Greek because I butcher it. It refers to deity of, of God and of human rulers. And so in the, in the Old Testament, we can see places like Genesis 18, 12. I'm going to bless you. So Sarah laughed to herself, and this is not up there, but I just put it here. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So Sarah is referring to Abraham, and she calls him, what? Oh, no, she didn't. Uh, calls him Lord. So every wife, look to your husband and just say, good morning, Lord. Good morning. Good morning, master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo. Let me know how that goes out. Yeah, you're just being biblical, woman. Right? <laughs> It also, it also talks about like bosses, superintendents. So when you go into work this week, you do the same thing. You see your boss and you say, good morning, my Lord, and uh, see what kind of boss you have. Uh, I'm demanding that for all pastoral staff to, uh, to uh, call me that when you walk in. <laughs> uh, but uh, Adonai is a different take on Adon, and it's, and it's a form of the plural of Adon, and it adds, instead of just Lord, it says, my Lord. Everybody say, my Lord. Adonai is the name that declares that he is owner and master of all, including the nations of the world. He is over everything by our declaration. And so anybody can say, Lord, and we're going to talk about that in the scriptures in a minute. But Adonai is a weird word because it's who he is. It's a description of who he is, but it also commands a response from us. Because of his lordship, he becomes more than just lord. He is my lord. That is the root of Adonai. It's, an, it's, a, in, it's a deep, intrinsic understanding that God is over everything. Amen? You can see where we're going with this, all right? The first time we see Adonai in the scriptures, and it's kind of cool, kind of shows this, but in Genesis uh, chapter 12, God has come to Abram. He's not Abraham yet. And he gives him um, this promise. And we all know that we inherited through the blood of Jesus, the promise of God through Abraham, made great many descendants in the nations of the earth to call him blessed. And so God in Genesis 12 has this conversation with Abram. And he says this to him. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, big deal. We know because we know the rest of the story, like uh, Harvey would say. We know the rest of the story, but Abram and Sarah, we, we know from some of their conversations that she essentially laughs uh, at the Lord and what we were talking about in that text earlier. So 10 years later, roughly, we see the Lord encounter Abram again in this vision, and here's what happens. Nothing has happened by the fulfillment of promise. No kids have come. Abram and Sarah still don't understand the fullness of what God's promise is, and here they are. After these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now here's, here's Abram. He, this is where he goes, what? He, he's trying to figure out what the Lord is talking about when he talks about blessing him. And so, but Abraham said, Abram said, oh Lord God, what is that word? Adonai. His response is Adonai. What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, and if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so what we see in the text is this Adonai word, is he wasn't just saying, Hey, God. Something was happening in the heart of Abram where we see, he is, is Abram a faithful guy? Yes. Okay, good. He's a faithful, faithful man. And faithful, his faithfulness proves out over and over again when God asks him something to do something that he doesn't understand and doesn't get his mind around, yet he still does it. It starts here, and it also carries on to later where we see where the Lord asks him to place his one and only fulfillment of his promise on an altar of sacrifice. And what does he do? He does it. Abraham has this heart posture of lordship in his life. And we see something funny. And in Genesis 12, when God talks about this promise, it seems to be pretty vague. When we come along to uh, Genesis 15, when the Lord comes to Abram and Abram's response is, and you, have to, you miss this if you don't understand the wording, oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? What did he say? He said, my Lord. Abram in that very moment has positioned himself He's not arguing with the Lord. He is deeply actually having a conversation with the Lord, but he sets himself in the proper place before he goes in and on the conversation. By the way, if you have issues with the things that God calls you to do, guess what? He's a big enough God. He can handle your questions, right? He, he can have those. And he, does he, does he, if he's a good father, then surely if we have beef with what's going on, he's a God who wants us to come. But there's a way that we come. And we come humbly, and we come as servants under the lordship of God. And what happens after this? The Lord blows up. And maybe this is just eisegeting, but once you see the position of Abram's heart, where he says, Lord, my Lord, Adonai, the Lord starts to give him very specific information. And we know that God comes through with that. Amen? David, over and over again in the scriptures, same heart. He has a heart that is full of the lordship of God. In 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 20, then King David went in and sat before the Lord, all capitals, and said, who am I, O Lord, Adonai? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. O Adonai, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind. Oh, Adonai, and what more can David say to you, for you know your servant, O oh Lord God? 
Like David was like absolutely astonished as he sat in the fullness of God and God's promises. And what was his reflection? He didn't say, I'm worthy. He doesn't say, it's about time. He doesn't say, you owe me. He doesn't argue with him about what he's doing. David simply postures his heart as a servant of the Lord of his life. He says, Adonai, my Lord, this is unfathomable. We see it over and over again. Moses as we talk, David, the prophets, they were all called servants of the Lord. In the New Testament, as we move over and we see this word kurios, which kind of uh, is, the, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the Greek word, the New Testament word that we have uh, that covers uh, Adonai. And in Titus 1.1, Paul says this about himself, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. What is, what is one of the first and foremost declarations of Paul? I am a servant. What made Paul so powerful? He was a servant. Who brought the, the miracles that came through the ministry of Paul? The Lord, because he was a servant. See, the power is up to the Lord. The posture is up to us. And when we can properly place the Lord in the right place, right? You ever, you know, heard those bad Christian radio songs? Oh, take the Lord, put him on the throne and take me off. Don't you make fun of the way I talk about Christian radio, all right? Um, there's a reality to this, y'all. Um, 1 Peter 2.16 says, live as people who are free. Listen to this, these words. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living servants of God. Um, Adonai calls every single one of his people to acknowledge themselves as his servant, claiming his right to reign as Lord of our lives. Now, the idea of ownership isn't very popular to Western American culture, right? So if you look, 1776, our very rebellion wasn't just about overtaxed tea, although I hate when that happens, right? Gosh, this Tetley's is way too much money, and I just want to throw stuff at a king when I'm at the grocery store. Um, that was stupid. Okay. Um, America, this is why, and, and, you know, like I have Canadian family and friends, are always like, and a lot of European friends and family, they always look at us, and they're like, America, they're just, oh, Americans are just always so free. And, oh, Americans. Like, we were literally birthed out of angst, right? Like, our nation was birthed out of rebellion, and the biggest thing we were rebelling from was lordship, no more kings, right? And then back in those days, literally when that happened, 90% of the world was led by monarchies. Now, less than 5% of the world is led by a monarchy. There's, there's either democratic role or there's some jerky guy controlling everybody, but that has kind of fallen. And so our very kick as a nation was, nope, no lordship over me. We are the people. We have these unalienable rights, Right? Come on, where's my... Yeah, all right. Jerry just raised his hand. Praise God. Amen. Uh, we also have a horrible existence with this when we think about our history with slavery, right? So when we talk about master, when we talk about servants, 
we will automatically default and start thinking about our, and not just our country's past, slavery's been a problem uh, for, since the very beginning, but our wicked version of this slavery thing of what happened to African-Americans in our country for the 400 years, horrible. And so when we start to put these words together, we start to relinquish the biblical understanding of what it is to have uh, masters. But in the Bible times, things were different, okay? And a master and a slave was a very common thing. Here's biblical relationships between masters and servants. Uh, the master was responsible for the person who he owned. So even though he owned this person, he was also responsible for their health, their well-being, their provision. The master of the house knew each of his servants intimately and took care of them. The Lord of the house mapped out the days for his servants, so they were lined out for him and his goals and accomplishments. The purchased slave stood in a much nearer relationship to the Lord than hired servants. So there were purchased servants that were slaves and there were hired help. Well, the people who were the purchased ones were actually looked at and seen and included in as part of the family in a lot of situations. In some scenarios, um, they were free to come and go. In Israel, a hired servant who was a stranger could not eat at Passover or do the holy things in the master's house, but the servant, the slave, the purchased slave could, and he belonged to his master. He was a member of the family. Listen, what we see as, um, <laughs> um, as bondage, shackles, abuse, um, there's actually something more to the story. To be a servant of the Lord under him as, as our master is actually one of the greatest liberties of joy that we can actually experience when you think about from that. But have no doubt. Have no doubt. Say, have no doubt. Um, he is in charge, and we are his servants. And he's not a slave master in the way that we have come to understand what wickedness comes from a slave master. He is actually a good master who cares and covers and lines out all of the things of his creation and his people. So then you ask yourselves, if you don't like that language, which I don't know anybody that does, um, ain't nobody going to, you know, all that stuff, whatever. And we live in those days where everybody and their sister um, <laughs> uh, don't want to be told anything by anybody. And so we ask the question, well, how can he possibly call us to give, give up complete control over everything and become a servant? Listen, the Lord unequivocally, without question, has called you to die to yourself and serve him with your life. That is the expression of someone who is saved, period. There's no levels. There's no kind of in. You're either in and you're out. And if you're in, you are a slave to the good slave, to the, to the master of heaven without question. The thing is, if that's true and it is, then you have to be convinced that what you give up and how to become humble and lowly is worth it and that he's worth it. This is why knowing the identity of God, knowing the characteristics of God, knowing the attributes of God are so vitally important. If God is just some guy that you grew up in Sunday school with and there's nice morality and there's little Noah and all the dead bodies floating in the water, all that kind of stuff. I don't know what kind of Sunday school you went to. <laughs> Vanessa, that's why they don't let me do Sunday school for kids. All right, today we're going to have some carcass, some flesh I brought in here, and we're going to... Um, And some of us, I think we live a life where we go, what kind of audacity does God have to call me to be his servant and slave? Right? It's a big ask. 
But here's the deal. He is our creator. He puts you here, knits you together, knows the days of your life, and has purpose for you. He is the sovereign one. Like we have been talking about, he's over every single ruler and authority and situation on the face of the earth. He's everlasting. As we talked about, he has no beginning and he has no end. He's unchanging. He is good. Believe it or not, how could someone who asked me to become a servant be good? He's good because he's fashioned everything about you and eternity is his promise and our hope in his plan for us. He is love. He's literally the definition of love. He is hope. He's the definition of hope. He's life. He's a redeemer. He's our identity. These are, and these kind of servants, it's weird because you walk into this world where the scripture says we are servants and we are sons and daughters. All of these things are true. In our brain, we go, Vit! but in the kingdom, they're connected. We are sons and daughters and he's a good father and he loves us. Psalms 50, 10 through 12, I want to throw everything in our world belongs to him. This is the Lord for every beast of the forest is mine. Whose? Yeah, not mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. And he also, for you to become his children and his servants, he actually, he paid a heavy price, right? First Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, you, we are his possession. And everything we've learned in our lifetimes, when we hear possession, we go, ah! right? I mean, there's just something inside of us. Ain't no man, ain't no woman, ain't no government. But the, it's just the opposite in the kingdom because it's a good possession. Because the one who owns the possession is the I am. He's the God of grace, the God of love, the kingdom come giver. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works? Listen, this will be up there. Adonai is the name of the Lord but it's also a posturing of our hearts. This is why Adonai is so unique. He is Lord, <laughs> but when we say that, we have to be careful because that means when we say Adonai, what we are saying with our mouths are, he is my Lord. And we talk about lordship. Lordship is ownership. And we are servants under the God most high. And while in every other scenario, that's probably repressive and broken, in this one, it's the best thing on earth is that we actually belong to perfection himself. Amen? Jesus, as we look in the New Testament, Jesus is a perfect example of how to do this and how to be this on the face of the earth. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what does that say? The mindset is possible because what? It's ours. 
in Christ Jesus, right? Mindset of what he's about to get to. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If the God of heaven could humble himself and become a servant, then Rob Dance can humble himself and become a servant of the I am. Um, this is a heart posture. And we have to ask ourselves the questions. Number one, am I really angsty about this ownership language? Because if you are, you need to deal with that. And the only way you can embrace ownership is that you look to him and all of his glory. Literally, not a breath in your life happens without him knowing it or ordaining it. Not one good thing happens in your life without him ordaining it and giving it to you. And so in the reflection, this is what, can you see why people having a broken vision of who God is, who Jesus is? He's just a shiny time guy, right? right? You know, he's, he's about big slides and all these kind of things. And he's about parties and, and he's about good morality. And he's about, oh, I don't want my kids to turn into thugs. So we better go to church. It's not about that. The kingdom is only about one thing. He is God and I am his. And that changes every single facet of my life. This is an enormous reality. Listen, the topic of lordship, I truly believe this, is the, and you know I really mean business when I capitalize the the, I'm being like those Bible scribes, is the great divide between those who say they are his and those who actually are. Uh, Man, you've got to, we've got to come to a place of understanding that. Not just through my words, but through the actions. And by the way, there's grace in this journey. This is a process, and you don't all just come out of the waters of baptism going, he's my Lord, and I'm only going to do what he says. No, there's a war going on inside of you, an internal war of the unseen where your flesh is saying, uh-uh, ain't going to be owned by nobody. Versus the Holy Spirit that's saying, aha, this is exactly God's hope and promises for you. This is where real life is found. There is life and freedom found in slavery in the kingdom of God. Who knew? Right? But listen, if in your heart, in our hearts, if the Lord is not the Lord, this separates the boys from the men. Can I even say that these days? The these from the those, I don't even know what to say anymore, okay? It separates people in a big way because, listen, Matthew 7, 21 through, 20 through 23, one of the scariest texts in all of the Bible. Literally, listen to what it says. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, he says it twice, increasing the emphasis. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's one of the heaviest statements for the church to comprehend. It doesn't say, hey, I didn't, I didn't want you to be here. It just said, hey, you, you, you honored me with your mouth and you didn't back it up with your life. And if you don't back it up with your life, then what comes out of our mouth is pointless. How many times did Jesus rebuke the Pharisees for doing external things and then yet pointed to the... The, the Pharisees weren't all bad guys. They were just religious, very zealous men. And the problem was they got so full of themselves and their kingdom and people serving them over them serving the actual God of the Bible and doing it for the reasons that he wanted to. They just took it into their own hands. This brilliant hood poet wrote this. We signify that he is Lord over everything in our language but we verify that he is Lord over everything by our actions. Y'all, I'm not responsible for shepherding and pastoring anybody outside of this room besides the billions of people who listen to our podcast, which I'm sure we're, uh, they're, they're blessed by. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, I don't worry. Um, but I am responsible for what happens in my house, in my heart, and what's in this room. I will stand before the Lord one day and answer for how I led and shepherded this house. When I read that, this isn't about losing your salvation. This is not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is if, and this is scary in the American church, if you went through the rhythms of church, you went through the language of lordship, but it never infiltrated the entirety of your life, and that's a process. If the internal things never came out, we have to ask serious questions. It's not a lose your salvation thing. It was, were you ever really his? Because to become his, it means you die. If you're really his and becomes, we become servants and he becomes Lord. And when we say the words Adonai, it means you have control over my everything. Nothing I have is out of your reach. Uh, that's scary. And the Lord isn't trying to, uh, Jesus' purpose here isn't to say, hey, you bunch of ninnies, you're not saved, you're going to hell. Jesus' rebuke is this. Listen, what you say better be a reflection of your heart because if it's not from your heart, it's not genuine. 
And so then we have to start compartmentalizing our lives. We need to start going through the areas of our lives. And here's what I'm really good at. Uh, I'm really good at giving him lordship over most everything. (laughs) Right? How many of you, some of you can, you could come up, we could just like, well, let me share this one area. Like, uh, I only cuss like two times a week now. And, uh, you know, I mean, we just, we talk about he's Lord. And, (laughs) sorry, that's not true. It's probably about four or five times. But it's just like the rich young ruler. What do you think the rich young ruler, what do you think the Lord's problem was with the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler was like, I do this, 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 this. And Jesus looked to the area of his heart that he wasn't Lord, his money. And said, hey, give everything to the poor. Give that up and come follow me. Jesus was only nine-tenths Lord. And guess what? Jesus cannot remain nine-tenths Lord in our hearts. He, he calls for everything. And it's a journey. And it's a process. And we have to walk in that process by the Holy Spirit. He is master. There is only one proof of love and lordship. 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 Sorry. There's only one thing that proves love and lordship, and that's obedience. Right? And nobody wants to talk about that. That doesn't bring in droves of people, but we don't obey because he's a legalistic God that wants to ruin our fun. We obey because we have in our own heart and possession the Lord God and King of the ages, the God of grace, the one who died for us on the cross and everything I have, if it isn't his already, it's becoming his. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not going to church. Those are... Listen, when you get the lordship of Christ in your life, conversations are a lot easier when you talk about how you raise your kids and how you spend your money and how you do relationships, right? All of those things. That's why some of these people, the reason why you kick against and the reason why I kick against the things of God in so many areas is because he's not Lord of it. I'm still wrestling with him for lordship over that topic. I will never say that but that is what I'm doing with the posture of my life. I kind of want that relationship, God. I, I don't think what you're really conveying is, Lord, I don't think what you have for me is better. Not lordship. God, if I break off that relationship, that's going to break my heart. I can't do that. You don't understand. The Lord's like, hey, listen. And this is where it comes back to the free will part that we talked about last week. He's not going to force anybody. It is not true lordship if we're puppets. Amen? Amen? So many of us have been struggling with things for so long in our salvation, in our walk with Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. At the core of that problem is lordship. Whether it's addictions, relationships, sexuality, whatever it is, it's lordship. Well, God didn't really say. Without question, he did. Here's some applications for us. Um, how we uh, walk through some of this Adonai lifestyle. <laughs> Number one, here's just a, and these are like no duh, Rob's, but you know, I got to fill time because I have to preach for an hour. Number one, uh, you got to get your perspective right. If he's Lord, we are not. You are 
I am not the Lord's of our lives. I am not in control. I am not the one who gets to delegate and plan out all of the accomplishments, wins, and losses of my life. He is. That is the only anthem in true Jesus-loving Christendom. Whatever he wants. And, and we talk about, like, you would never say you're the Lord of your life, but everything in my life, like, if, if, if we give access to the checkbook, you get access to the food, you get access to the thoughts, you get access to the relationships, and we could simply start to walk through them one by one by one by one and say, hey, I know I'm saying lordship, but man, there's some disconnect here. He is the only Lord of your life. No politicians, no rulers, not even your children should have lordship in your life. The whole issue of lordship is, is, comes under this, control and surrender. Who's in control and who's surrendered? Here's another one. If he is Lord, and the squeaky answer to that question is, he is, is it, right? He alone reserves the right to command anything from us. Listen, regardless of how we feel, feel or what we think about it. Let me say that again. He and he alone reserves the right to command anything out of my life, regardless of if I'm in agreement with it or not. Why? Because he's sovereign. Because he's over. Because he sees things that I can't see. Because his will and his ways are good. His doctrine is sound. His hopes and aspirations are not, his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And, and I kind of broke this into like two areas, like general. So God, God calls us to do things generally. So in the scriptures, this is for all of us, like um, forgive, right? You know how you forgive people who have done horrible things to you? Lordship. That's it. Lordship. God asked you to because the way we've forgiven is in relation to, to the way we forgive is in relation to how we have, have walked in forgiveness. He's Lord. And he doesn't put qualifiers. Yeah, but God, you don't know. It's lordship. And if you go into the deeper levels, he asks us to do that, not just because he's forcing slaves to do something, but when we actually obey our master and forgive, we get free. We actually end up honoring the Lord and unshackling ourselves by the power of his hand. But it is not in our first nature to forgive all of those people. And we will fight him for lordship. Love God clearly says in the scriptures what marriage looks like, what love looks like, and regardless of how we feel or what we think, his way is a better way. We submit to that. Give. Talking about finances. Uh-oh, this was his agenda the whole time. Bring out the thermometer. We're trying to pay staff this week, a bunch of greedy jerks. Uh, <laughs> I, I get tired of having the, the conversation over and over. Like, it feels like every few months I'm like, hey, guys, we're struggling. And it's not because we're spending extravagantly or this. It's just because people just don't choose to be consistent in their giving. And I look at that. You know how you answer that question? Lordship. 
just lordship. Like it's a biblical command to give, to bring our first fruits, to worship and all. And, but, but I don't think, I don't think the, the Lord's like, fine, that's okay. You don't have to think. You don't have to agree. Listen, lordship. Serving, testifying, going. And what about specific? What about specific revelation of lordship that God wants for your life? I, I don't know why this one has been humming at me so heavily. Last night, I just as I was praying through this, like, I just feel like God wants to speak to some people in this room about relationships. Some of you are in relationships that are not holy, they're not of the Lord, and in his master and in his overarching heart, he is saying, walk away from that relationship. And don't be dumb enough to know, I know this is applying to more than one or two people this morning. I didn't mean dumb enough. You know what I mean. I don't think you're dumb. Well, God, you don't understand I'm lonely. God, you don't understand like I need physical touch. I need words from people. I need a friend. I need somebody. And the whole concept of like unequally yoking in the scriptures, like we kick against it so much, but I have seen over and over and over again men and women who are trying to love Jesus and then a relationship or a desire for a relationship comes in and sucks you right away. That's because the master at the moment of your heart is your need to get fulfilled by something, but in the end, the only thing that really can fill you is the Lord. Like his way is the right way, right? Like waiting. And so we, I see it over and over again. I see single moms and single guys that they just fill themselves and they do it over and over and over and over again. Filling their lives with relationships with people who are unequally yoked. And the Lord is saying, I am your master. I have a better way. Drop it and repent. I have something better for you than you are trying to fill in your flesh. Am I Lord or not? There's a thousand humdingers I can put in there, but we all know there are overarching biblical things God is calling us to make him Lord of. And there are also specific things that the Lord of heaven has been pursuing some of you, all of us in one way or another. We're all guilty of this at one time or another, but the Lord is pursuing you, demanding and commanding lordship because his way is the only way. And it will always end disastrously well, but I could save him. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was Jesus who was crucified on the cross, not you. God's not trying to steal anything from you. He's trying to bless your life. Oh, snap. And these are uncomfortable scenarios. Jen, I always just want to out our broken relationships just to prove the point. Um, even when it feels contrary to everything that is physically going on in us, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you know this, but I stole gin from another guy. And you're looking at, this is before Jesus, okay? Let me say, I stole gin from another guy. Let's call him Jeff or Joaquin, whatever you want to call him. Uh, but Jen was with this guy, married to this guy, and we were both unbelievers. And you're thinking, yeah, well, you're so fine and attractive and funny. I get it, right? I'm like, think what you got. 
but I stole, I, I went into the relationship that, that, that my current wife had with this guy and I broke that up. And, and years later, <laughs> you want to talk about funny conviction, I'm at, I'm preaching her daddy's funeral. We're at the old building and I'm preaching the funeral and Jeff walks in the room. I don't know how many years later this was, 15, 16, 17 years later. And as I'm preaching, I hear the Lord say, go ask him for forgiveness. <laughs> and I got... <laughs> and I got to tell you, that was already a hotbed, that room that day. There was a lot of people in there in our church that like hated my guts and I was all insecure already. I'm just like holding on to the garment of Jesus and not trying to angry preach at a man's funeral, right? Some of you might be going to hell. Um, you know, anyway, that was, uh, anyway. And so I'm arguing with the Lord. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to talk to this guy. There's no way I'm going. I mean, I used to want to give him dental implants with a Louisville slugger. Like, right? Like, I didn't like him. I mean, I really, I, there was a time when he was outside my door when I almost blessed him. But I hear the Lord kept, as I'm preaching, I'm arguing with the Lord. Talk about multitasking. And, and, and literally, here's what the question came down to. Rob? Am I Lord over everything or not? And I had, to, I had to submit. Like I went to this guy at my father-in-law's funeral. How do you even start that conversation? I'm like, hey, I shook hands. I hug him. I'm like, I don't know how to say this to you, but I feel like God really wanted me to tell you, like, I am sorry. And I was not following him at the time. I did not act in a way that was becoming of a follower of Jesus and I hope you know that he is Lord of my life in I'm sorry. And he forgave me. Now, there were repercussions of that that happened in the unseen that was far beyond anything I'm ever going to see. And he does that with us over and over. There was a time when I, and our, our lives crashed and I had the option. I was going to leave my wife. I was going to leave, and I had every biblical possible okay to go, and I felt the Lord say, Rob, I'm going to run in and rescue her. So are you. I had to make a decision in one minute. Well, multiple hours of weeping and arguing with God. It had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with who I submit to. As you guys know, a couple weeks ago, I got to drive to the great sovereign nation of Canada. Part of the reason why I went was this very topic. I have, uh, I don't know about you, I know everybody in here has a healthy family background, right? Uh, but I have immense brokenness in my family on both sides. And my stepmother had just died in the last six months or so. My dad is alone. Literally, his language is, I don't want to live anymore. I just want to be go where she is. They're not believers. And I felt like there's this huge crucible on my heart that the Lord says, you need to go and bring reconciliation to your family and have hard conversations and give them space to bring hard conversations back your way. Listen, I am so full of mommy and daddy issues that I've been working through my entire life. And Jesus is the only way I did not. If you know me, if you, there's this Dan's line. There's like the Dan's line of death. If you cross that, very little people ever get to come back. And we go, whoop. 
but I felt this question came up again. He's like, Rob, am I Lord or not? I have a plan for your family. I have a plan to set you free, but none of this works until I am the absolute Lord of every situation in your life. So here I go. I get on the plane with Twinkies, right? And, and my Coke Zero, my Dr. Pepper One, and I fly there and I'm going, and I'm talking to my family. I'm like, oh, this is awkward. I don't want to do this. And then I just let the Lordship. My dad said it was one of the most freeing conversations he ever had. Listen, the Lord is calling every single one of us into those specific places. Hey, am I Lord of that or not? And I have a million other examples of where I failed. But when we trust him, when we submit to him, when we give him full control, that's where life and freedom actually begin. few other of those qualifiers for us. Number one, you need to, I, I mean, uh, the next one is identify counterfeit Adonais in your life. Listen, in our culture, some of us worship our children more than we worship Jesus. Some of us worship our jobs more than we worship Jesus. Our financial security, our calling, even ministry. Let's get into ministry. We worship our calling and how gifted we think we are versus the actual lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives and submission to him and those he placed over us. Every one of us have counterfeit Adonai's in our heart. What are they? And when was the last time you said, Lord, why don't you <laughs> reveal them to me and do something about it? And then the last one is... Uh, by the way, that, that goes right along with, uh, I, I won't say too much. I don't know who I've ticked off already today. But um, here's some other counterfeit Adonai's. I think uh, social justice can become counterfeit Adonai. Politics, causes. And the last one is, you need to inject the reign of Adonai into every area of our lives. You know how your marriage works? Adonai. You and your wife were never, or you, and you know what I mean, you and your husband, your spousal person, your fiance, you were never made to pull off each other's faith, life, happiness, or joy. Only Jesus, right? And you know how you deal with a jerky husband or a jerky wife? Adonai. Him. You submit to him. That's why when we do covenant marriages, it's you, your spouse, and the Lord. There's a covenant going on. It's a three-string thing, right? There's three parts to it. You and you, this is what happens when you and, I, you and I get together and it's just us, destruction. With him, he holds all things together. But bake, make no mistake, he is at the top of your relationships. Raising your children, Adonai, his way first, not friendship and appeasement because you have mommy and daddy issues. If you're kids and you're going to high school, you're living in one of the most toxic places on the face of the earth and times on the face of the earth, and there's all this garbage flying at you at school, guess what? How do you make it through that honoring Jesus as a 17-year-old? Adonai. Him first. We need to go through our compartments. I don't want to end up giving him nine-tenths lordship over my life. Because that one-tenth thing that I'm Lord of causes me the most pain, distress, disconnect, and heartache. And it's like I know he's good, 
But for some reason in my flesh, I am still fighting him. There is something, literally, I think if we could just go, let's just, some of us have 6,000 of them, me. But what would happen if you identified one thing in your life that he is not Lord of and you know it? And you just spent the next our seat, our time of worship, your next discipleship meeting, your next house church. What if you just hitting your face every day, identifying what that is and actually giving it on the altar of the Lord? Do you know what, do you know what <laughs> um, Abraham put on the altar? He didn't just put his son on the altar for God. He put lordship. He positioned himself again that he didn't understand what God was doing, didn't know why he would call him to do that, but he trusted him and he placed his son on the altar because God was Lord and he trusted him. So we go into a time of worship. That word, if you've never studied it before, Adonai, that posture is worth every ungodly relationship. It's worth every night spent worried about the things that you can't control. It's worth every computer you throw out the door because you can't get a control on your porn addiction. It's every conversation with people that you don't want to have because you've been hurt by them, but the Lord calls you to forgive. Adonai is the way, and Adonai is the reason, and Adonai is the hope. 